Hey, well, good morning, whether you're here on campus or those of you joining us online. And I was also told to give a special shout out to Norma joining us from Texas. So good morning, Norma, or whoever else is joining us online this morning. We're super glad that you've chosen to be with us after a crazy week of family holidays and Thanksgiving. Hope you guys all had a good one. I also, I think it's funny for some of you that uh, I'm up here this morning. Uh, Eric, my name is Eric. I'm the student pastor here. Uh, I'm very obviously not Mike, but I want to let you know that was not planned this morning. Despite the loss of uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes, I am here. I am here on purpose. It is not because Mike is too sad, I promise. Uh, all that, right? Uh, but if you see him, please give him a hug. I think he needs it. So, hey, this morning we're continuing in our family series, and we are talking about family gathering. And I don't know about you, but I know I've had at least a few family gatherings in my day that have been full of conflict, or maybe when you walk in the room, you feel the tension immediately. Has that ever happened to you? you like, you walk in, and you're like, whew, I could cut this with a knife, right? Like, you're like, this is stressful. Uh, that was me a few years back. Me and my sister, uh, Megan, who's here in the audience. Hi, Megan. Uh, we're in a fight uh, a few years ago before a family holiday, and uh, it was all kinds of stress and frustration. And I remember I showed up on the day of the holiday, and I was going to do my best, right? To not say anything, to not be a jerk, to keep my mouth shut, to keep the peace for mom, because I want to keep mom happy on a family holiday, right? And so I remember walking in, right? You could feel the tension in the room. Everyone's being quiet. You're all like walking around on eggshells with each other, and you're like, who's going to say the first thing that's going to light the match and blow this place up? Thankfully, it wasn't me, but it was my sister's husband. So he, he, he all of a sudden, I love my, my brother-in-law. His name is Jordan. Uh, sometimes he does not think before he says something, and he said something that lit a match, that caused me to say something, which caused my sister to say something, which then caused everyone in the room to be yelling at each other. My mom starts crying. My stepdad's waking up going, oh, what's going on, right? Like, everyone's like, what is happening? And then you have half of the house, right, staying in the kitchen. You have the other half, which is where I went, walking out into the backyard because you're all frustrated and mad at each other, and you don't want to be around one another. And I know what some of you are thinking. This sounds a lot like the Thanksgiving I just had right? Like, you're like, wow, is he telling a story about my family? But odds are, each and every one of us, we've, we've been through these moments, right, where we've, we've gone through a family gathering or two, and it's been full of contention or dysfunction, right? Because if we're honest, each and every one of us, right, our family is a little bit dysfunctional. And honestly, since the start of time, family has been this dysfunctional thing. Even Jesus himself comes from an incredibly dysfunctional family. If we look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Abraham cheats on his wife. Isaac gives the blessing to the second-born son. Jacob steals the blessing from the first-born son. And Judah and his brothers leave Joseph for dead in a ditch. Thank God I wasn't left for dead in a ditch after a bad family holiday. But each one of us, right, 
We can all wrestle with the fact that our family gatherings are going to be stressful, and we're getting ready to enter in to the most wonderful time of the year, right? Like it's Christmas season, right? Everyone's probably got their decorations up or has had them up for two or three months at this point, and we're all excited, right? But with this family gathering, with these holidays, when you gather a bunch of imperfect people in a room together, stress, frustration, dysfunction is bound to happen. So how do we handle that? How do we gather with our families well as we approach this holiday season? Because while Scripture is clear that, yes, every family since the beginning of time has been dysfunctional, it also paves the way forward for you and I to have a better family dynamic and family relationships than we think we might be able to have. It also points to us being able to set aside and do something different than leaning into the dysfunction. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about three strategic choices we have to make to allow our family gatherings to look a little bit more like Jesus and to reflect him a little bit more each time we gather. And the first choice we have to make is to simply choose to put Jesus at the center. This one should go without saying, right? Like this is the Sunday school answer. How do we fix our broken families? Jesus, right? Like however, right, despite the fact that it's the right answer, it's one of the hardest choices to actually make. Because each time we gather with our family, everyone has different expectations. Think about the holiday season we're about ready to enter into with Christmas, right? Some of you are ready and wanting to gather together this Christmas season to exchange gifts and leave as quickly as you came. Others of you are expecting to show up, have a meal together, laugh, stay there all day, watch a Christmas story. Others of you are expecting to watch the superior Christmas movie Die Hard over and over again, right? But no matter what, each one of us is walking into this holiday season with expectations. And the real question you and I have to wrestle with is do our expectations look like Jesus or are they self-serving and self-centered? Do our expectations look like Jesus or are they self-serving and self-centered? Because here's what I want to promise you this morning. Whatever your expectations are, something will go wrong. Something will be imperfect. That's why it's important to remember why we gather together. One of my favorite books in the Old Testament is this book of Joshua. And in it, the end of Joshua, Joshua says this. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua ends his book with this call to the Israelite people. After God has finally delivered them into the promised land, he now presents to them a choice in which they must live. Will they choose to put God first in everything that they do? Will their house serve the Lord? Or will it serve themselves? This proclamation, though, this choice isn't just for the Israelites, it's for you and I as well. Meaning, men, will we make the same proclamation for our households and the families we lead as we enter into this holiday season? Will they reflect Jesus? Will they serve the Lord? Single moms, will you make that choice for your family? 
This call is for all of those who lead their house to plant their flag and say, Jesus, will you be at the center of this gathering? But I also recognize that some of you in this room aren't the leaders of your family, and that's okay. You still have a choice to make in this as well. Will you choose to push your family closer to Jesus? Will you choose to say, as far as it depends on me, I'm going to plant Jesus at the center of this gathering, and I'm going to push for him to be front and center no matter what it takes? Will you choose to put Jesus at the center? This verse has been in my mind a lot because I'm getting married in a little over a month now. And as me and Sam are getting ready to enter into this new life together and start building our family and eventually have kids, this has been one of my themes in my prayer time. That I want my house to serve the Lord. As far as it depends on me, I want want Jesus to be at the center of it all. And oftentimes I find myself saying, God, I don't know what this looks like. I don't even know how to do it well. But Lord, I just want you and your son at the center of everything. This call to put Jesus at the center of our families, this choice, it won't be perfect. It won't be easy. But it's the right choice to make when we set aside our own expectations and we lean in to what Jesus has for us. Whatever your position, my hope for you is that you make that first strategic choice, that you and your house will serve the Lord and choose to put Jesus at the center. But after we choose to put Jesus at the center, we now have to wrestle with the fact that we are gathering with a bunch of imperfect people in a room together. And when that brings its frustration and its contentment and its all of the things... We have one other choice we have to make, and that's to choose to live at peace with our family. And this might be one of the hardest ones for a lot of us to do, because I get it. It can be hard to choose to live at peace with people, especially when they're getting on your nerves, especially when you don't know what Uncle Bob is about to say or come out of his mouth, right? Like, it it can be hard to go, man, I don't know how to live at peace with these people. But the book of Romans says it perfectly, where it says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul is echoing the words of Jesus in this moment. He is reminding us that if we choose to fight evil with evil, it will only end in more suffering. This principle is vitally true for our families. If we choose to double down on bitterness, anger, resentment, and frustration, it will only lead to more bitterness, anger, resentment, and frustration. But if we choose to double down on love, and peace, and forgiveness, and grace, God might bring hope and restoration where we need it most. 
I want to read verse 18 one more time. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. That means we don't choose to badmouth and gossip when other people at the dining room table are doing it. That means we don't choose to hurl insults or necessarily lean into un unneeded conflict. But instead, we choose to live at peace with our family, especially when conflict arises. If Jesus is at the center of our families, then we must go the extra mile to show what it means to live at peace in the midst of difficult situations. And friends, each and every one of us at some point or another will experience difficult situations with our families. But living at peace and finding that peace that Scripture says surpasses all understanding will give us the opportunity to show love and mercy to our families. I'm often reminded that I cannot control how I, how my family members will react in a situation. But I can control how I will react. I can't control the words that will come out of someone else's mouth. But I can control my own. And so friends, will your words, will your actions demonstrate peace? Or will they demonstrate bitterness and anger and resentment? Because if you choose that path of anger, bitterness, and resentment, then Jesus is obviously not at the center of your gatherings. And that's a hard pill to swallow, but it's a pill I've had to swallow often. That when I lean into that path, or when I lean into that way, I'm ignoring Jesus himself. I'm ignoring the call that he's placed upon my life. Friends, as far as it depends on us, let us live at peace with our families. And now, the last and most important choice that you and I have to make when it comes to our families is that we have to choose to forgive our families. Let me say that again. We have to choose to forgive our family. Ephesians 4 says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Friends, forgiveness is an active choice that each one of us must make. Forgiveness is an active choice that each one of us must make, because here's the deal as we've stated earlier, when a bunch of imperfect people gather together, imperfect things are bound to happen. But when those imperfect things happen, if our response is peace and forgiveness, we can push our family members, especially those who do not yet know Jesus, a little bit closer to him. You see, we forgive because Christ forgave us, as Ephesians 4.32 says. We are kind to one another, tender-hearted to one another, and forgiving one another because Christ forgives us. Christ, in his ultimate act on the cross, shows up and dies for our sins, gives us a new life, wipes the slate clean, in our darkest moment says, I love you. 
And if that's his response to our sin, it too must be the response when our family sins against us. It too must be the response when someone messes up to us. Now, I want to be, be clear, right? Just because we forgive someone doesn't mean we don't get the opportunity to set up new boundaries, right? If someone steals from me, I'm not going to give them the opportunity to steal from me again, but I'm still going to forgive them and no longer hold that against them. Because that's what forgiveness is. It's giving that opportunity of saying, I no longer hold this against you. I love you. I forgive you. And I've had to go to my family time and time again and ask to be forgiven as much as they, I've had to forgive them. As much as I've had to forgive them, I've had to ask for forgiveness. Maybe that's where you're at in this room today. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness from your family or from a family member or a friend. Or maybe you're the one who needs to extend forgiveness. Forgiveness releases the burden of what that person has done and allows newness and reconciliation to happen. But once again, we forgive because Christ has forgiven us. We forgive because Christ has forgiven us. That's why each and every week we come to this time of communion. And here in a moment, we're, we're going to ready to see a baptism which I'm so excited about, but it's this reminder that for those of us who have been baptized, communion represents the forgiveness, this act of salvation on the cross. That each week when we come together and we take the bread, it's the reminder of his body that was nailed to that cross, a punishment he did not deserve. So take this with me in remembrance of him. And we drink this juice each and every week that is the remembrance of his blood that was shed for a forgiveness of a multitude of sins. Let us drink in remembrance together. Dear Jesus, Lord, we are in desperate need of you to be at the center of everything we do. Dear God, we need you at the center of everything in our lives. Lord, we know that when we gather with our families at times, it can be imperfect at times, it can be frustrating. But in spite of that, Lord, let us choose peace. And Lord, give us that peace that surpasses all understanding. And because you have forgiven us, let us remember that we too must forgive. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.